I'm Douglas Brush, and you're listening to Cybersecurity Interviews. Cybersecurity Interviews is the weekly podcast dedicated to digging into the minds of the influencers, thought leaders, and individuals who shape the cybersecurity industry. I discover what motivates them, explore their journey in cybersecurity, and discuss where they think the industry is going. The show lets listeners learn from the experts' stories and hear their opinions on what works and doesn't in cybersecurity. Hello and welcome to episode 55 of Cybersecurity Interviews. In this episode, we're speaking with Mark Reisinger. Mark has led Net Diligence, a cyber risk assessment and data breach services company, since its inception in 2001. During that time, Mark has been responsible for the creation of highly focused services that are used by leading cyber liability insurers in the U.S. and U.K. to support both loss control and education objectives. Prior to joining Net Diligence, Mark spent 12 years in the insurance industry, primarily with Cigna PNC, where he created the first generation of cyber risk insurance. Mark is also a frequently published contributor to various insurance and risk management publications and a sought-after speaker on the topic of cyber risk and liability. In this episode, we discuss cyber risk insurance, right-sizing cyber insurance, gathering metrics for the breaches, cost of breaches, the impact on small and medium-sized businesses, GDPR, data privacy, and so much more. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. Thanks for listening. Hey, Mark, thanks for joining me on Cybersecurity Interviews. How are you today? I'm great. Thank you so much, Doug. Well, you've been a very kind and gracious host to me and, and my team here in Philadelphia this week. We're at the uh, Net Diligence Conference in Philly, the, the Cyber Summit, and you know, kind of give us a little bit more of a background of how you got started in cybersecurity and, and largely risk management, which is the unsexy term to use in cybersecurity, but ultimately it's what we have to be doing. Yeah, so just stepping back a little bit about us, um, we've been at this literally now for 16 years, even though we still feel like we're a startup <laughs> you know, company. Um, and our whole goal really from the very beginning, Doug, was partnering with all the major insurance companies who offer some flavor of cyber risk insurance coverage. And back in those days, there was only a handful. Now we're up to, there's probably 100 insurance companies offering something. Believe it or not, I think we're still at the beginning of this whole marketplace for cyber risk insurance because there's over 1,000 property and casualty insurance companies in the U.S. alone. And then when you factor in all these other types of insurance, like captive insurance programs, where there's another 1,000 captively insured programs in the U.S., um, and then you can go global from there. But ultimately, these insurance companies offer cyber coverage. That I put air quotes around cyber coverage because that means a lot of different things to different insurance companies. It means a lot of different things to the actual end customer. If you're a manufacturer, you don't really care about privacy or a, a breach of personal information because they have very little of that. What they care about, for example, would be denial of service attack against their supply chain systems and they're losing revenue per hour um, to our pharmaceutical clients or healthcare or retail and banking clients. They have a treasure trove of customer data. Uh, it's their duty to have a standard of care to uh, make sure that information is protected in a responsible way. If they have anemic security practices in place, bad guy gets access to that. They could be looking at a class action lawsuit. They could be looking at an attorney general or many attorney generals coming after them with significant fines and penalties. That, to them, is the risk. Um, and the nice thing is these insurance partners of ours, and we support about 80 insurance companies now, are stepping up with really um, 
uh, different kind of products to address most of the cyber risks facing corporate America. Not all. I mean, there is some gaps out there. They would cover, for example, a security breach of private information that turned into a class action, or they'll pay the regulatory fine, or they'll pay the ransom because um, some bad guy, you know, uh, basically encrypted their network and they need to pay him X amount of bitcoins to get the decryption key back. They will pay for all those things, but there's other as you and I both know, there's other types of risk out there, like theft of intellectual property. Um, you know, uh, some foreign nation state steals a pharmaceutical formula, and um, you know now the pharmaceutical company is out 10 years of R&D. That's essentially not being covered, even though that is probably one of the top cyber risks facing uh, U.S. companies is theft of IP. As just as an example, they also will not really cover terrorism uh, type type of threats or events. Um, but we, that's, what, that's what gave us a leg in this space. Um, we offer different services. And of course, we're here at our conference. We have four, four uh, cyber risk conferences in different parts of the, the US and in different parts of the world. And we offer a combination of consulting services with software solutions. Some of those solutions help the carrier. Some of those solutions help the policyholder who's buying insurance. Yeah, I think it's, it's been an interesting market where I've kind of seen it grow over the past decade or so because you know, people have, uh, you know, the landscape changes in IT, so it's, it's kind of playing whack-a-mole a lot of times with saying, okay, well, I can, now I have it figured out. And that's everything with security. It's like once you feel like you kind of get your arms around it, something new comes up, something changes. And you know, one of the things that we try to address with the clients I work with, say, look, you know, you, you need some level of, um, of of risk mitigation, and you also need risk transference. Like insurance is there for a reason. It's, you know, it's not always again a sexy topic about risk management insurance, but it's something that you need to have, or you can literally go out of business. And I think that's you know, some of the things you guys have also put out some of the numbers. But I've seen numbers like you know, from that you guys published that you know, the number of small businesses that don't last uh, a year after a cyber event. Yeah, I mean, that's, and that's a very plausible scenario. We have, um, as you, meant, you alluded to, we have an annual what we call cyber claim study. And we, are, we have the good fortune of working with uh, all these major insurance companies who are paying live claims for data breach events, security breach events. And they are kind enough to give us a sampling of that data for an actual breach paid out on. It's all redacted information, but it allows us to study that data produce a report for the industry and especially for the client. When I say client, client could be a risk manager on the treasury side of the house. It could be the CIO, CISO, it could be inside counsel. They all have a stake at this and they're all concerned about, you know, their reputation. They're concerned about protecting the bottom line. Um, so we produced a study really for them to educate them about frequency and severity. How often does something happen? What kind of what are those threats look like? And um, once it happens, how damaging is it? Right. What are some of the the numbers that you guys are seeing now, at least in, in past six months, a year of the different types of threats that that are kind of coming out there, and the different types of you know claims coverages that are essentially coming in? That you know you start being able to aggregate that data across a lot of different industries and a lot of different insurance carriers. Say, wow, there, there's trends here. So I'll just give you an example um, of some of the, the the numbers, Doug. Not to you know, go too in deep, there. and if people want to report, um, we have it available. It's going to be on our site at the end of the summer. Um, in fact, the 2017 study, which is pretty in-depth, is up there, but 2018 we're in the middle of. And so these are some early numbers that just came out today for this, for our conference that's going on live in Philadelphia. So we looked at 1,200 
cyber risk data breach type claims paid out by say t 20 of the top insurance companies and they give us that data we analyze that the average data breach event what's the cost and that's what the risk manager wants to know what's what underwriters also want to know so um, this past year it was about six hundred thousand dollars right now I caveat that with the fact that that for the most part is impacting small businesses SMEs they made up the great majority of of entities having these claims um, so they were probably a billion dollars in assets or less they were probably 90 percent of the data breaches happening now if we said what's an impact to a large company fortune 2000 company they're looking at about 24 million so significantly higher for a larger company with more data more you know generally more information assets but I can tell you this, $600,000 to an SME, mom and pop on Main Street as opposed to Wall Street, is a significant hit to them, especially there's a lot of them that don't have this insurance yet. So, and then the other thing we try to study is to, for companies to get their arm around what could a future breach cost me. They want to know, you know, what's a per record cost look like? You know, we're a hospital, a small physician practice, we have 10,000 patient records, what could we be looking at? So we broke the study down into a per record cost, and significantly, I mean, it is significant this year. It's five over $5,000 per record caught up in a breach. The reason why it's so high, again, when you use the word average, to my actuarial friends out there and, and folks that are, you know, skilled at stats, which I am not because I have researchers doing this. I'm just reading you the numbers. But it's, you know, average man, takes the smallest per pennies on the record up to we had literally claims worth a million dollars for a record, you know. But why it's coming in so high is these small companies actually have only low number of records but spend pretty significant amounts of monies trying to recover from a data breach event, bringing in experts like Kivu to forensically figure out who, what, when, where, and how, bringing in top breach coach lawyers. There's a cost to that, and um, that's what has really increased the per record cost. But if you want to get for, you know, there's also, we break it down to a median cost as opposed to average. Median sounds more normal. I guess it's $43 per record. But that just gives you a sense that the message there, though, is if you're a small company and you have low number of records and you don't think you have risk, you're wrong. I mean, it, it can be pretty significant, the cost that you're facing. Um, some of the other things we get into in this study um, would be crisis services. You know, so, for example, Doug, um, whenever you have a data breach event, they would call in an expert like you guys. And this is before the plaintiff lawyers knocking on your door, before the attorney general. These are things you have to do because they're mandated by state and federal law to respond in a prudent way, to, to figure out the, the extent of this breach, um, which victims were caught up in it, so the customer, the policyholder, can do the right thing and notify those victims if the law says they have to. So that cost alone, just for that step, again, you're not doing remediation yet. You're not. You're not uh, paying enforcement fines or anything like that. That step alone was about $460,000 just for the crisis service phase. And this is covered by a lot of our insurance partners as standard part of the cyber risk insurance uh, packages. If there was legal cost, and just say there's regulatory uh, person involved, whether it's a state attorney general or FTC or uh, OCR for healthcare, then you're looking at pretty significant uh, defense costs on top of that of about $514,000. Again, nothing to a Wall Street company, 
very something different to main, a main street company. Yeah, and a lot of that, what I've seen in some of the, the, the cases that I've had in work is once that clock starts ticking, and if you're on a 60-day notification or, God forbid, in a 72-hour New York or, or Europe, you know, that, uh, that pulls a lot of your resources. You're probably limited resources for a small business to gather up the information to respond, whether it's patient records. Now you're taking a full-time employee that's maybe managing a healthcare practice says, stop what you're doing. We're not doing client intake. I need you to gather up all our records for the past 15 years. I don't know where they are, but you got to find them all because we have to respond to somebody in, in, in a short period of in, time. In that, that scenario, you, I mean, you're spot on. It's a nightmare to not, not only a large company with sophisticated staff and resources, to a small or medium-sized company, it's like, oh my gosh, I got to do what? Um, and so that's really, um, it cripples them. It, assuming they even have things to do, those essential tasks that you guys are going to say you need to do. Yeah. So. And, and certainly, we, you know, with, with increased regulation, you know, we, we, we would uh, be remiss if we didn't at least mention GDPR. How, how is things like that? Not maybe not just here, but overall the, you know, the point where there's, more scrutiny around data breaches and the time to recover notification and really the data privacy that goes with information. How is that starting to affect the way the insurance market is looking at breaches? So it's a fantastic question for a lot of different reasons. One is um, every risk manager in the world should be paying attention to GDPR, which is a European-driven law. Um, basically, it's a U.S. style law that says now you have uh, compliance duties to do the right thing should you have a security you know, breach situation. To date, in my opinion, a lot of uh, companies globally in Europe have just swept these events under the carpet. They can't do that anymore. And the reason for that is tucked into the law is really uh, significant fines and penalties could be, fa you could be facing or threatening up to 4%. Of, of gross revenue could be what you're looking at. We're still taking wait and see, you know, see what actually happens, um, what do the fines and penalties look like? Because even in the early days of U.S. enforcement uh, for different state laws or federal laws, <clears throat> the fines and penalties were de minimis in the beginning and they significantly grew to now where every regulator is willing to come after you if you had anemic practices in place. Um, so GDPR is a big risk because, you know, even though you're based here in the United States, you could have operations uh, globally. You could have European data in your systems, uh, and and you have the duty. The onus is on you now to still comply with those laws because you have the citizens of certain countries. So it's a big concern for a lot of our uh, our customers based globally in Europe, and for our insurance partners over there. They are seeing an instant jump in people already buying the coverage for for those global regions um, there's still I feel like it's we're still at the infancy for this whole space over there because it's unclear whether they're actually going to pay for fines and penalties uh, you know facing them under GDPR they would still pay for some of the things we talked about the cost to bring in an expert you know to help the client figure out how bad was it give me some legal guidance those are all things that would be paid for but the real threat of course is the big fines I think they're trying to figure out, are they insurable? In the United States, they typically are insurable, uh, whether it's a HIPAA fine or a state, you know, a state AG fine, those things can be insurable. But it's a big wake-up call, um, really, and it just went into effect in May, you know, just this, a few weeks ago. So, but now we want to see what is, is there actual teeth to this law? 
and you know, kind of kind of forwardly looking, you know, now that there is again more regulation things. I mean, where where do you see at least aspects of um, the way that the risk is kind of assessed and underwritten? How is that going to change in the future, maybe versus the way they're doing it now? Yeah, it's a good question. So, you know, a, a lot of people think of this as a security issue, a security risk issue, and they're partly right. But it's really, again, going back to the air quotes around cyber risk, it's broader than that. And what I mean by it, a lot of this ties back to privacy ethics, privacy practices, and it may have nothing to do with an actual security breach. Um, take what, look what's happened to companies like Facebook and others, where really the issue, the, the risk to them is wrongful collection of your information, wrongful sharing of it outside the bounds of their posted privacy policy. I can tell you this, Europe, generally the enforcers there take privacy really serious. Um, and I feel the risk going forward being assessed by the underwriters, uh, being looked at by enforcers is, are you transparent in what you're doing with uh, people's data? Um, is your privacy policy clear? Uh, do you say up front what you're collecting, what you're sharing, who you're sharing it with? And do you actually abide by those uh, promises in your privacy policy? If you don't, that I think is where a lot of the fines are going to come from. I could tell you in the U.S., that's where some of the bigger class action lawsuits are going to. It's wrongful collection, wrongful sharing. It's not necessarily a security breach. Yeah. Well, Mark, I greatly appreciate you taking the time today. Where, where else can people find out more information about what you guys are doing? So, again, thank you so much, Doug, for this. They can come to our website, netdiligence.com. We have a lot of stuff posted there, like white papers on this study that I mentioned and some information on our future conferences. Yeah, no, it's great. Like I said, I, I told you before we hit record, I, I live by the mantra of, uh, you know, if it's not getting measured, it's not getting managed. And I love the numbers that you guys put out. It really helps me uh, frame conversations to people in the business side about the cybersecurity risk, because ultimately, again, it's, it's a risk management issue. It's a risk management issue. And thank you so much for, you know, evangelizing this stuff through podcasts and just helping spread the word. Fantastic. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Cheers. Mark. Thank you so much for joining us today on Cybersecurity Interviews. I hope that you enjoyed this interview as much as I did. Please go to cybersecurityinterviews.com where you can find every episode, including show notes and links for each guest. There you can also find social media links and to sign up for new episode notifications. Thanks. We'll talk soon.